0: Hello, and welcome to the Golden Thread Conversations. I'm Judy Murdoch, your host, and today I'm so happy to be introducing Kanval Rahim. Kanval, I am so happy to see you here.
1: Thank you, Judy. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me to your uh, space of uh, serenity and uh, conversation. Mm. Cool. I love the back- background in your window. Which city are you in? I'm in Denver. Okay. And you're
0: you're seeing my little I have a little window garden.
1: Ah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's, that's cute. I like that. I
0: Thank love you. That. So just would you just take a moment and introduce yourself and give give people an idea of who you are and what kind of work you do and and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So
1: I am um a Oh, it's so difficult. I guess in a way, I would call myself a just a little background. I'm a daughter of the Indus River and the Sindhu peoples. Um, I was uh, born in Karachi, Pakistan, and I'm a third culture kid, so I grew up globally Across, um, I was raised in Pakistan, Egypt, uh, United Arab Emirates, and Canada, and um, I spent a little bit of time in in and some time in England and in New York as well. So, um, I guess I've had a nomadic uh, upbringing in that sense, and I work and play at the intersection of. Um, uh, theater and community, and as well as uh, the meditative and healing arts, and I'm just striving to understand how um, stories uh, uh, sh- uh, shape our relationships uh, with our with ourselves, uh, in as human family and our other than human uh, family as well, and uh, how we are all trying to find. Uh, resilience um in these um intense times on planet Earth yeah. yeah
0: you have like an you have such an amazing background and you have this like really interesting like I'm I'm so fascinated by the way your work you know you you play in these different areas and I can also see how they might intersect do you want to tell me a little bit about just a little bit about how did your work evolve, sort of, you know, not specifically a career path so much as just, you know, the name of this podcast is actually the Golden Thread Conversations. And one of the reasons I gave, I came up with that name was because um, I think the the people I typically enjoy talking with are people for whom their lives have not been straight lines. So, I mean, my life has certainly been that way as well, where you may have, it, it, you might look at your career and feel as though you've been all over the place, but when you stop and look at things, you see that there's kind of a golden thread that, that has kind of held everything together and led you in a way, a, a kind of path. So what has what your golden thread been for you?
1: Um the golden thread has been um you know being um I guess in this um uh, trying to develop or, or growing into uh having comfort and being um in finding belonging in, mm-hmm. in um the in between, you yes. know uh, the, 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 the spaces in between, yeah. um, which is, uh, you know, now that I, you know, I used to, when I was growing up and I always, I, you know, I, I, when I came to Canada and as a teenager and, you know, adolescence is a minefield as it is. And then you throw in, you know, kind of like a culture shock and then 9-11 happened. And, and, and so it was quite in- interesting, you know, everything kind of, um, kind of like coming at me in my uh you know quarter life crisis and turned in my early 20s and um and I was like okay what do I do like how much you know uh uh, what am I going to become and 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 you know it's like how much Pakistani am I going to keep how much Canadian am I going to become and it was all this kind of meshing and everything but you know so I was I used to be I you know a lot of confusion, but I think now as as I'm you know kind of coming into my uh, womanhood and and you know kind of settling in I, and I now I appreciate the training of being you know a global a, a kid who was raised in so many different in different continents in Asia and Europe and North America it uh, kind of trained me for this, Uh, you know, uh, now it's, uh, you know, it's very common for kids to grow up globally all over the world because of the way our world is now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the 80s, it wasn't so, you know, it was kind of like, it was similar to how military kids are or missionary kids are in that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But my father worked for an international company. So, you know, we we would travel with him and spend a few years every year in a different country. But uh, so that was, I guess, I was always like leaving and coming in. I was always a guest and, you know, and in a place So finding that anchor was very unground, you know, you know, and I look at all these and I would look at all these um, young North American kids uh, and kids, you know, young uh, people in in Europe in their mid 20s and backpacking. And, you know, I was Mm. it was quite interesting. But for me, it was terrifying because. It wasn't really something that I was, um, you know, um, uh, I kind of dreaded that because that's was something that I already grew up with. Right. Uh, but it was, yeah, but it was a good training. That's what I'm saying, that it was a good training for me how to find, um, create my own, uh, you know, uh, uh, culture or own space which neither is neither nor you know and i think the mm-hmm. uh the um but there wasn't a lot of guidance at that time you know uh uh for a lot of people uh of of my background or or you know uh, and it was not until my late 20s that i found uh, a friend who was like oh yeah you're a third culture kid I'm like what is that and then I found out that you know there's a sociologist Ruth Howard she coined the term is kids who grew up in different countries and they kind of occupy this in-between space of um, mm. of uh, you know kind of being from so many different cultures but not really actually belonging to any any right. specific one mm. um and uh that's that kind of gave me uh an, a, a bit of a sociological understanding mm-hmm. and uh you know, and then I was like, oh, okay, and then you know, I found a lot of um comfort in uh poetry and music and dance um because it was like I I was understood as like this um, weaving of a like a carpet you know like the it's such an intricate uh uh, process uh but you don't want to let go of any of the threads because each thread is so and and, you know like a carpet is uh the process of making a carpet is such a painstaking and and arduous thing but when it's finished it looks like gorgeous and but you know and so then I found comfort that okay these are all my different aspects and different uh you know uh but i didn't come through it with easefulness and comfort you know that it came through it with like you know nervous breakdowns uh you know out-of-body experiences near-death experience and uh just sheer confusion uh you know uh as like uh oh how am I? How who am I going to be, and what am I going to do? But I think that early um, exposure to different cultures did give me uh, um, uh, an an open heartedness and open mindedness, uh, you know, and uh, kind of a training to quickly follow social cues. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if uh, you know I'm in Asia, and how uh, in the mannerisms in us is, is, are different where I'm in India or South Asia is, is, different. So it's all of those things, uh, were, you know, like I had to be quick. I had to learn, you know, uh, fast, you know, if you're, um, and uh, mannerisms and and all of that like dinner table manners and all that kind of different customs if you're in in the Arab world you know there's a different you know uh, even for women you know different way of dressing and and all of that and uh, um, uh, I think it was some once I was having a conversation with us like you know if you're in the Muslim world it's like it's like you don't just start staring men in the eyes because that's a bit too you know like you don't start glaring or Giving too much eye contact because um, in some of the in some parts of the world men are not accustomed to that much or you know it's not mm-hmm. a normalized thing unless you're like in a uh, smaller social setting uh, uh, you know. Um, Wow. So you wouldn't go in out in public because then you might invite uh, kind of uh, behaviors towards you which you would not want to be welcome, right. um, and and men are not that oh uh, normalized or accustomed to to that kind of you know um, kind of. Uh, uh extended eye contact with women uh, right. who are not who are not their wives mothers or sisters you know right. like women outside of their family so these are kind of little little things that you know kind of I was very I I didn't even realize that I kind of picked up on these kind of strengths and kind of intuitive knowings that I could kind of you know um shape shift from different social settings and mm-hmm. still find obviously uh safety mechanisms of how, uh, you know, kind of how to socialize and and all that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, what was occurring to me as you were speaking was that I would say like 99% of my life experience has been living in the United States. So I've, I've been to some other countries, but as just as a traveler, you know, as, as a tourist, and I was thinking about how I myself have often felt like an outsider because I am different from my family. I am different. I have, I have two younger sisters and we're very different people, very, very different people. And um, even from a young age, I felt like an outsider in my own family. And sometimes that was okay. And sometimes it could be quite painful. So I've often, I, and I think a lot of it is simply who I am, how I'm wired, what my values are. But, you know, quite often I, I do find myself, um, I'm thinking more about work situations where I'm sitting in a meeting or um, listening to people talking and feeling sort of like, whatever they're interested in or, or, or whatever their perspective is, I I have a really different perspective and I find it uh, it's familiar, but it's also very painful to have that sense of, am I the only person who feels this way? And, um, you know, I, I just have to say that, you know, although I have, I think, a level of peace in being different, I also know that I think it's just this really human thing. We have such a deep desire to belong. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just think that's such a human, it's such a human impulse. And I'm just thinking about my own situation and your situation is like a million times, you know, like what my experience has been. Do you, do you feel like you have gotten like, I mean, is that something that comes up for you a lot? Kind of feeling like you don't quite fit anywhere or, and, and and how do you work with that?
1: Yeah. So um, I, um, I once, um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably, I'll, I'll send you some of my poetry. I wrote a poem called what is home, what is belonging. and, and I think one of the lines I had, it was called like, you know, dancing in shifting sands. So the, there's one thing dancing and then there's one thing when the sh- sands are always shifting. You know, that's that's quite quite a feat, uh, you know. Um, yeah, um, it's uh, what was your question again of how <laughs> I <laughs> it was it was. Um, yeah, because mine is my experience has been more in. Uh, amplified like you said yeah um so it wasn't uh easy like i uh, and i think my, some of my other um uh uh friends who grew up with similar lifestyles have been a bit more anchored because there uh there was less trauma in their lineages so their parents mm. were a bit more um stay a bit more rooted um you know, uh, a bit more grounded. They had a certain kind of, um, uh, rituals or, um, they're very, uh, yeah, like they, they had like a, a, a daily routine. They're like, you know, their parents were very routine oriented and kind yes. of grounded and they had less, uh, trauma in there. Whereas my parents, they were, they had a lot of unprocessed trauma. Uh, they were, um, you know, I, I was just, uh, i kind of uh laugh around with my friends i said my parents if there was a phd my parents would have a phd in people pleasing so they uh-huh. were like extreme uh like people pleasing to the extreme right because yes. and i think um also um there were young uh kids going out into the world in the 80s and uh I think they were trying to, and also being in a position where you're always a guest in someone else's country, that makes you even more people pleasing because you're trying to be a good guest. You know, you don't want the host um, to feel threatened by you to, 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 to not feel, you know, uh, uh, you know welcome you in and and all of that and so the nervous system was as as it is the trauma in their lineages were were quite traumatized uh, because of my grandparents they they survived the partition and a couple of wars between india and pakistan but um so that's why i think earlier on why it was so, such a traumatic process for me to find my anchoring and my rooting um you know so there's like in in there were like extreme. There's uh, some some of my friends. They were much more grounded because their parents didn't have that much trauma in their lineages, right. and they're a bit more. So while they were traveling around the world, they had kind of like you know their dad did these similar things with them every Sunday, and their mom mm-hmm. was more emotionally attuned to them. So mm-hmm. this was uh, this this probably was kind of softened the aspect that they didn't have a permanent. Uh, they were like a traveling family, you know. Uh, 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 didn't have a permanent uh home, so to speak, but and then there's some other other extreme examples where I know that you know uh by the time there were some kids who were like 21, they'd already been in lived in 21 different countries, and they became like suicidal and wow. you know I mean you know because they basically became so fragmented, yeah. uh they yes. and they had probably did not have any kind of uh, orientation in their life or, you know, anchoring uh, that they struggle or are still struggling with worse, uh, you know, situations because they couldn't, you know, at that time they didn't. And, you know, one of my friends recently, uh, one of my mentors actually, she's like, oh, Kavul, that was really, really, challenging for you because in those days there was there was no way to have even like a stable uh digital community right. you know like a lot of y- you right. have right now have online you know support groups and stuff right. uh you know it's like for example if i had like friends in uh taiwan and i'm writing you know like i used to write pen we used to write letters to them handwritten and then mm-hmm. once you lose touch and then then they they, they stop writing uh it used to be with me like my friends yeah. would be the first wants to stop writing before I would, and I would still be as a sensitive person. I'd still yeah. uh, be kind of uh, attached to them, and 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 yeah. my parents did not know how to help me kind of uh, create endings, have rituals around you know farewells yes. and endings. So it became yes. all very very messy for me. You know, it wasn't uh, until my. Uh, 20s and a lot of therapy in my 30s that I had to kind of you know uh, unpack all of that and and process as all of that because as a child you kind of all this abandonment it's like yeah but I kept sending letters to my friends in Taiwan and Italy and they wouldn't write back yeah so energetically I would be with have these friends in my imagination but they're not really where I'm living anymore Right. so it was very it got really mixed up in my in my uh in my head but you know uh, thank god I was able to and thank goodness to guidance from spirit and from ancestors
0: right. that I
1: was able to find the right support and the people to help me uh process and the most um uh, you know the way I see it is uh two things uh that I know it's a cliche many people will say well you know dance saved my life but in essentially it did uh because in uh the 20s in my early and mid 20s my throat chakra was so blocked uh, that the only way that I was and all this was going on in my in my brain and my psyche and my somatically in my body it was all just kind of sitting there unprocessed uh-huh. and I didn't know how to even communicate like shy would be an understatement like I was painfully shy like you know how Judy I'm talking to you looking into your eyes like I didn't I couldn't even look at people in the eye like my dance teacher uh, so I got to a point where in my late 20s uh, uh you know i was like you know what i can't live like this anymore like you know i would freak out when i would get on the public bus so i wow. i opened this uh in those days there was a telephone book so i opened the telephone <laughs> book and uh, i saw this lady who was teaching uh classical indian dance Kathak, and uh the word uh, kathak uh, comes from uh, the da- uh, from the word the root word katha which means uh, story to tell a story yeah. so and um, yeah. also in my ancestral body uh, because i'd seen in that part of the world so much Uh, which is a mirrored reflection of so many uh, similar things that had happened in so many different parts of it, which is playing the same trauma is playing out in the Middle East right now. So there was a lot of between, you know, Hindus and Muslims. And I carried the lineages of both people in my body and in my mind. And uh, though in South Asia and in Greater India, what is, you know, now Bangladesh, Pakistan, Nepal, Sri Lanka, there's so many... um, Uh, Hundreds of dance forms, but I found Mm. a space in Kathak because Kathak is one of the few uh, dance forms that combines um, both uh, the traditional indigenous uh you know elements uh uh, from the vedic culture as well as the persian and the oriental and the central asian culture the little bit of the islamic uh culture so i was like oh this this dance is perfect because i can you know and i wasn't at that time it was not until you know i started doing more ancestral work that i kind of realized oh that's how intuitively my body was guiding me uh where i could kind of um uh, metabolize and weave in both of these kind of uh, lineages uh, that are sitting in my bloodline to help with all this trauma and between, you know, the Hindu uh, and the Muslims and so much hate and so much misunderstanding and so many wars and separation yeah. and all of that. And I guess I I wanted to, uh, 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 how do you say in ritual, like kind of consecrate my body. Mm. as a temple space to heal mm. that and so dance is what uh and my dance teacher it took her two years I used to like just you know kind of be on the looking at the floor the whole time and she would be like cover eye level eye level she's <laughs> like it took her two years to be able to for me to um you know and so I think for dance it helped uh uh resurrect my grace and my audacity that's what dance uh helped me with and you know the posture cuz it, it's somatically you know when you are able to cuz i was like like you know i'm in my yeah. 20s and i'm still like a 14 year old like scared teenager it's like don't look at me i'm going to freak out
0: mm-hmm. and
1: mm-hmm. dance helped me cuz somatically when you're able to you know kind of uh you know walk and and uh you know your yes, uh, body yes embody your power, embody your, how we say, uh, your Shakti as a woman, you know, your feminine, uh, power, uh, you know, kind of, yeah. uh, uh, then you're able to kind of meet and, and, uh, uh, uh meet the world on, on your terms and, and have, uh, so much uh, stronger boundaries, and 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 be also be able to uh, advocate for yourself in the world, right? Uh, I remember being bullied. I was bullied a lot growing up. Uh, you know. Uh, terribly especially in middle school between grades six and 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 ten it's a horrible uh, time it's a yeah horrible time. it's a it's yeah. such a wild uh time for so many people especially for uh sensitive kids and you know uh if you're if you're not going to a specialized school or uh, and i was not in a school but which was for like theater kids or our kids for for arts kids. It was actually, that's why my, my sister, like, you know, I, I, I'm glad that uh, our threads connect that we both have sisters. You have two sisters. I have two sisters too. And my younger sister fared really well because in the high school that we were uh, ended up here in Canada was actually uh, named after Mark Garno, who's an astronaut. So it was a very science and computer oh, okay. science focused school. So my, my, my sister uh uh, thrived in that high school, yeah. whereas there wasn't much of art programming. So my other sister and I kind of suffered because we felt like aliens, like you said that, yeah. you know. And, and it was yeah. only until I got into my mid twenties that I realized, oh, that was a wrong high school for me. And there was like an- another art school, arts based high school that was just you know another in another neighborhood, a couple of streets right. away, which my parents had no idea about. Right. So these are little things that you know. So dance uh, was. Somatically, I was able to find an anchoring, like you know, and uh, if uh, it's such a uh, you know, like the and I think my feet kind of took me, you know, uh, so for like two years I just did, and then I uh, started studying folk dances from that region because I really wanted to, because intuitively it was start coming out, like you know, uh, Balochi dance and Cindy dance, even though I didn't grow up so many years. It's like like all these. Uh, ways that my dance uh, the ancestors would move yeah. and for example i love uh, the central asian dances and afghan dances which is like um for example uh it, which i i um, I found much more grounded and rootedness in folk dances versus yeah. classical classical dance. Yeah, yeah. Because classical sure. dance is very elitist. It's kind yeah. of like so. Sometimes I kind of explain to uh, some of my friends who are not familiar with classical Indian dance. I tell them that you know, Kathak is like the ballet of South Asia. Okay, <laughs> so I, there I was in my in my late twenties, dancing with all these young girls who were, who were like eight years old, twelve years old, and I was like, "What? Well, how am I gonna do?" anything they're you know like they're yes yeah they're way more come accomplished than i and i would and yeah but you know i was not there to be a classical dancer you know i was just trying to like i said i was trying to explore my body was trying to find an anchoring and rooting uh, a a sense of belonging like you said um and that's how i found myself in those classes and i ended up then uh venturing more into the folk folk dances part that's where i felt and moved away more from the classical because yeah that was very very you know it's a very uh suffocating and a very elitist place to be where you know all you know you have to be yeah uh, with all these gurus who are like all these you know like uh and that was not you know it was uh it was not my space and it would have uh it, yeah it yeah i would have further caused me more more uh, uh agony yeah but yeah the folk dances so i was saying like you know there's like because it uh, folk dances are are very uh um uh they're actually healing uh, portals and and kind of uh they're uh, they uh, i like because how e egalitarian and how democratic and how uh because folk dances are for everyone it's not just for like a specialized dancer who's been through hours and hours of grueling training for 10 years and then she's going to get up on stage with all her sparkles and and you're going to watch her and you know right. ta and you know yeah. uh, put her on a pedestal folk dances are like you know the grandmother's dancing the uncle's dancing the grand right. and you know you dance for harvest you dance exactly
0: for, like, yes you know, I was thinking it's, that there, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a seasonal thing. It's marking. Yes. It's for a community. It's for the celebration, different celebrations for the village. Right. Uh, you yeah. know? And so, for example, yeah. like, you know, uh, like, you know, how the women would make uh, roti, you know, yes. they would go like this, you know? And so that's a, that's a dance, you know? Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Dan- dances would come up, uh, dances uh, during the harvest season, during the rice with the baskets. Right, right. Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And. So those I, are. I was
0: picking up on that, too, actually, was with the folk dance. What I was thinking was like folk dance, like you were saying, it's very it's it's rooted in nature. It's rooted in the seasons. and it's rooted in right. It's a com- it's like a a community thing for people to connect with each other, connect with nature, celebrate, share their hopes, you know. So it's like I think it's really cool how you just intuitively were able to kind of like move in that direction you know
1: yeah 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 like I, I love how you said yeah folk dances and if you've noticed yeah. all over the world whether it's Africa or yeah. Europe folk dances are very relational and I yes and there was a magic that I realized from my teacher who's uh, great at folk if you've noticed, most of the folk dances around the world, whether you observe online or see videos, whether it's Latin America or Africa or Europe, and it's mostly most folk dances are done in circles. Yes. It's a yes. circle of people. Yes. So it's it's it, that's, it's that's very, very re- relational. You know, it's celebrating yeah. the birth of a sense, child. Right? It's celebrating a pregnancy. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, uh, ritualizing a harvest and, and, you know. It makes religious- sense, doesn't it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: i was i just like i really like i i really like that i hadn't hadn't thought of uh i wanted to ask you like so like when you were you were dance like dancing and you were doing initially you were doing this more formal dance right mm-hmm. um like the ballet and mm-hmm. were you were you finding like it sounds like it was like incredibly healing for you, right or like it really helped you so like was it was it just like being in your body? Because when you're dancing, you, I don't know if you can be in your head or not, but I assume at least you have to be in your body, right? When you're dancing, was that what was helping you?
1: Yes. um, It was uh, helping a so much of you know the the shame and confusion and the uneasiness of you know the unsureness basically my entire existence like you said you know when you're uh as it is like if you're growing up with uh as an outsider kind of a kid or, or yeah. a scapegoat or like a black sheep of the family and you right. know you're not fitting in um or trying to fit in but it's not working out uh, uh in in relation to you know uh, what your siblings are doing, or your cousins, or whatever. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, it it helped. Uh, so yes, you are in. Uh, it takes. Uh, yeah, somatically it was helping me release all that, unsureness, the shame around as I, also as a woman, as a young girl, all the shame you know around my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm not good enough, or I you know, or all that kind of you know. So it gave me a sense of grace, a sense of, you know, uh, and then when it started getting, like you said, when it started, although I do know that not dancers do tend to be more in their bodies for sure than other people, I would but, assume not, so. <laughs> but not always, always. So, uh, in my case, when, like I said, because it was this classical form, when it started becoming too cerebral for me, yes. that's when I was like, this is not for me because, mm-hmm. uh, Uh, And I think there was still kind of like a lot of trauma in my system that I was not able to integrate that level of, uh, uh, you know, if I had more rootedness and uh, in my body, then I probably would have been able to because uh and and of course I came into it very late in my life you know that those kinds of dance forms for sure like they the girls start when they're like you know 8 10 totally. you know of uh you know uh 12 years old so um yeah and I I felt like I was it it and then you know it it can uh what I've seen is even with dance teachers and a lot of uh, uh a lot of my dance teachers uh that's when i started questioning whether, whether i wanted to be a professional dancer or not uh because i saw all of my dance teachers in their mid to late 50s and 60s struggling with like uh you know uh, con- uh one after another like back surgeries knee oh, surgeries yeah.
0: it's it's brutal on your body i yeah. i mean, and I, I, was I, like- I don't know that much about it but like i've seen pictures of like older belt, you know people who are Really up there, elite ballet dancers, and their feet look yeah. like, you know, I I just th- that looks really painful to me. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I was like, uh, you know, when I saw all of these uh, uh these dance teachers in their sixties and seventies, and just you know, their entire uh like kind of their uh wisdom ages were spent, you know, in perpetual hospitals, going from surgery to surgery. Right. And I was like, you know, uh. I'm like, I'm, and so, and that way I kind of thank Spirit that I didn't get into, or like, you know, there were, uh, like you talk about, you know, ballet culture, many young uh, girls and stuff who go through the other side of trauma where their mothers kind of forced them into this when they were young and kind of groomed right. them.
0: Hey, everybody. This is Judy Murdoch with the Golden Thread Conversations. My conversation with Conwell continues. And I will be sharing that next part of her, of my conversation with her next week. So stay tuned and stay warm. Thanks, everybody. Bye.